Hi, I'm Stephen Crafty. I'm here at RMIT University in Melbourne and I'm presenting Talking Design. Very excited today because I'm with Kenneth Park, curator, cultural historian and international tour leader. And most people would just dream of having Kenneth's uh, job. He's just come back from Paris, Helsinki, Channel Islands. Wow, what a life, Kenneth. Well, it's really lovely to be home. In fact, I was once asked, why do you travel so much? And I always say it's the pleasure of returning to Melbourne. <laughs> it's such a lovely city to come back so to. So where were you this time? Um, well, I did. Um, I do tours, as you've mentioned, with um, ASO, that's Australian Studying Abroad. So I did a wonderful design tour through um, Paris and also Helsinki. And I should fess up that Stephen was there giving a little contribution along the way. In fact, he played a major role, but we had a chance to see some fantastic architecture, uh, meet some interior designers, um, some fashion designers, uh, really get a new sense of appreciation of these cities because I do a lot of tours which are essentially about the history of a city, but what's really marvellous is when you can actually devote time to looking at the city of today and what's going to happen tomorrow. So... Obviously, with you, you're travelling every month to major cities around the world, and you also do local tours in I Melbourne. Do, yes. How does Melbourne compare with cities like Paris, London? How do you see us ourselves on the world world stage? Um, I have to say that you know you look at Paris and London, and they are extraordinary cities, and even London's going through dramatic. Um, changes, particularly in the financial district. And behind those old facades, there's some really fantastic interiors because people have to live in today's age. Um, and there's also some bold and dramatic architectural contributions to the landscape mm. of both those cities. Melbourne, I think, really, this is me speaking personally, mm. still needs to um, really get itself sorted out. I can give you a good example. In London, the London Eye, that great big Ferris wheel contraption mm. that rotates in front of the Houses of Parliament designed by Charles Barry and, you know, fantastic um, Gothic-style building, um, it's in a superb location. And I know we've got to try and market Docklands, but mm. we've got this wheel that's going up. And to me, that seems to be in the wrong spot because in the end, it'll be up. But what are you going to look over? <laughs> Docklands and a few railway yards or ex-railway mm. yards. And it's sort of, it's a bizarre place to put it. I know they're trying to draw people in. One thing I would say about Docklands, comparing it possibly with um, Canary, Wharf. Canary Wharf or areas in Manhattan, it does take a long time for those areas to actually settle into the fabric of a city. Mm. And Docklands is very fresh and new, and I think there's some great architecture down there and some wonderful public art, but I think there's a lot of stuff which is sort of really surprises me. The proximity of the apartment towers worries me. Mm. Some of them are up next to each other, so you literally throw open the windows and you're looking into someone else's apartment. But wouldn't that be the same with Canary? Well, yeah, it is, but it's sort of, I don't know, it's just, uh, I would have thought you would have learnt. Mm. And in, fa in fact, in Helsinki, um, we visited a marvellous um, housing development where they thought very carefully about what the vistas would be from each apartment. Mm. And so you looked out into a square, but they were angled in such a way that you weren't looking straight into mm. someone else's living room across mm. the square. So I think there's been some real thoughtfulness. I think one thing about um, going to Finland and going to Helsinki, which of course this mm. year is the International City of Design, is to see how the Finns are really... I think, in a way, come to terms with design, and they've been truly innovative. It's and you wouldn't say the same with Melbourne? 
I think Melbourne's tried to be everything. Mm. We try to do... We Look... We're uh, very good on contemporary architecture in Melbourne. That's we are. one thing I'm very proud of. You know, of. we are. We are. We do, we do some great buildings. And we've also got some lovely, you know, real historical pieces like the Orica House, the old ICI House. 1950s. 50, yeah, 1959-60. And then you've got, of course, I actually do love um, Collins Place. Mm. Um, I know they're two international-style buildings. One of my favourite buildings in Melbourne is the old BHP house on the corner of William and Burke Street, mm. which is a very elegant international-style building. Yet we've lost things as well. Even though we've got all these regulations mm. to protect, um, we've lost the old Naval and Military mm. Club, which was a fairly... Um, How a, could that happen? Ah, uh, well, for those who don't know it, it, it was in nineteen late sixties. Oh, it's maybe even, even a little bit early. It's it's a box like sort of structure, and it was behind um, or very close to the Windsor Hotel in behind ninety nine Spring Street, Brown Brick, Brown Brick, lovely curved archway yeah. into the building. Yeah, very modernist. And um, you how know, did that happen? Well, basically because the um, club itself really couldn't continue, and eventually it was sold to a developer, and now the developer's building a you know. 30 odd story building there, which is going mm. to have hotel and mm. uh, um, accommodation, in it. and that's um, that's fine. But it, you know, we've lost a, a very interesting piece of architecture. Could it's it not, have, could it have been integrated into the new design? I don't think so. But it's it's very interesting that when you think about it, because um, uh, surely there must have been ways of preserving or integrating mm. or doing something. See, Lonsdale House, which used to be on Lonsdale Street next to Maya. That was pulled down. Mm. Now, that had an amazingly interesting uh, Art Deco facade, uh, and they could really have built their tower in behind it, but the whole building has been pulled down, and we've lost a really distinctive, I think, um, Art Deco facade. And these little things, it's just chipping away at the block. I'm a great one. I think we have to live for today and for tomorrow, but we need to reflect upon and, ref and you know, respect what's happened in the past as well. Do you think, Kenneth, we're becoming more like Perth? Well, we could easily become Perth because if we don't watch. Because that's a bit sad, isn't it? Perth's a disaster. Well, that's what I thought when I visited there recently. No, no, Perth, Perth is sort of, um, it's all flyovers and freeways along the river. There are now actually... Um, and the city centre's just awful. It's awful. It's awful buildings, windswept streets. Uh, the gardens around it are fantastic, and they're reinstating part of the river frontage, which mm. they filled in years ago. But they built that conference centre there, which mm. is bizarre because every uh, vista really is focused into the city, mm. whereas you've got one of the most beautiful rivers in Australia and there's just walls there. They should have them as breakout areas. I mean, you've got to think about buildings for people as mm. well. And, Kenneth, uh, I was going to ask you, do you think one of the problems with heritage is that 20th century buildings aren't valued highly enough in our culture? I think that is true. And we're in a da dangerous position. We should have learnt from the fact that, you know, we lost so many buildings from the 19th century in the 50s and 60s when there was a sudden rejection of the 19th century. And we knocked a lot of buildings mm. down that shouldn't have been knocked down. There is room to, you know, reflect each generation's interest in architecture and the latest mm. trends. Um, but, you know, most of our 1950s buildings of note have been fiddled around with and changed. Mm. Um, as you know, I live on uh, Spring Street and it's a Cole lot... Popper. Yeah, exactly. A, a wonderful building built really at the end of the 1960s and it had beautiful burnt orange foyer decoration. Well, that's now been replaced beige. by beige. Yes. Well, is it, I find it quite... Um, 
just you know it's it's distressing when people um, do that to a building. And now, why live in the building if you're not going to sort of? I mean, I, I've bought is it. Is it because the market who move in don't get that period? They don't get it. No, and it's that's the really um, you know it's the sad thing. Look, I went down to Bayside Art Gallery down at the city of Brighton, and they've done a wonderful exhibition on uh, contemporary. Um, uh, that the town hall and the modernism of done the by Kevin Knight. Yes, and it's really fantastic. It's a great little gallery, and in fact, that exhibition is housed in the building which dates clearly from the 19th century Italianate style. And they've done a fantastic refurbishment of the ground floor area mm. of the uh, the art centre there. And I th- I find that sort of thing very very impressive. Mm. Well, they're valuing their heritage. They are, and you know. Um, it's the skill of architects working on places like the Shrine of Remembrance. Mm. You know, they've kept the integrity of the the big by Ashton Megan McDougall. Yeah, yeah. At the front, uh, they've they've put their work in, and it's really quite innovatively done. And they're now going to expand that out mm. to improve the access for people because there's more and more visitors coming in. But you, you've been there. We we went there together. Fabulous. Yeah, and we've got the original building, mm. and neither of them actually jar against each other. Yeah. It's been very skillfully. Well, there's a dialogue. Yes, yeah. And the other one that's interesting is, of course, the Windsor Hotel, which has had a bit of bad press. Um, that's a great project. I mean, the Windsor Hotel will not survive unless they put the tower on the back. It's economics. Now, do we want that building to be turned into a private apartment block? Mm. No. And I think the architects, um, Denton and Cork and Marshall, yeah, they've done a great job in building this idea of the tower, which has got this marvellous sort of undulated facade. Mm. And that's going to sit on the back of the building where there is no heritage value. Uh, which has been determined by Heritage Victoria in a sense that they don't have to worry about the mm-hmm. front. And then they're going to do a building on the corner, which is where the um, uh, you've got that more modern uh, addition to the building. And that's a little bit more interesting in a sense that it's going to be quite a departure from the traditional architecture. But that's really very good adaptive mm-hmm. design. And I listened to John Denton a few weeks ago, and he was talking about really separating the corner building from the original front of the Windsor building. So each building respects the other, although they are linked physically. And I thought that's really smart. Kenneth, why is there such an uproar when schemes like that get presented? I think it's... I mean... It's it's really very interesting. I think people were worried about the height and they were also worried about the building on the corner. But, look, I have to say that, look, we have to live in the city for today and tomorrow. And the other thing, too, is that I don't think that what's happening with that site uh, really is um, of great consequence given that um, we've allowed the construction of buildings like 99 Spring Street. We've allowed all those high-rises on uh, Collins Street. So we're already the... Um, a bit the, late. It's a bit late. The, the horses are already bolted, if you know what I mean. So one yeah. thing that I don't know if you're, if you've noticed, but I've noticed the city is becoming a little bit down and out lately with the uses. A lot of fast food going into the city. Oh yeah, lots of bread shops and uh, fast food outlets. And, and what does that do to the city? Well, I live in the city, and it yeah. really just sort of it, it. What you sometimes see when you walk down the streets of, is literally this sort of sea of rubbish. Uh, they, <laughs> the, the, the city does clean up, don't get me wrong, they work very mm. hard. But, well, they have to. Yeah, but there's always papers and things like that if the mm. wind's blowing. The other thing too is you... you does sort it, of, Kenneth, sorry to interrupt, but is this proliferation of fast food, does it happen in places like Paris, in well, the it, old parts of Paris? Well, sadly it is happening and oh, it's interesting dear. because um, if you look at the history of Paris, you know, the, the lovely Parisian corner cafes, they are disappearing because they are expensive. And the French themselves are now being a little bit 
corrupted by the price. fast fast food and price. It's mm. the really it's a reflection of the cost of living. Um, Paris is an expensive city. Um, in Melbourne, the other thing that really gets up my um, nose is really the the proliferation of all of this signage. There's mm. visual pollution everywhere. We seem to have a sign for everything, and I think the council does try very hard, and obviously tries to sort mm. of um, uh, manage different stakeholder mm. groups but i've noticed just one little thing the street signs you know spencer street or mm. flinders street or whatever we've got several different types of street sign it seems every time the council reinvents its logo it starts with changing the street mm. signs i would have thought just a simple sign saying spencer street would be sufficient <laughs> we don't need to have the logo saying this is the melbourne logo because we mm. are in the middle of melbourne it's like putting a a sign on the building that you know what it's all about. Kenneth, when you're taking people on local tours of Melbourne's streetscapes, the city of Melbourne, where are the places that give you the most pleasure? Well, I think it's where people have really made a place for themselves. So it's it's going through those little arcades and alleyways where there's lots of cafes and mm. restaurants. And the great thing is that Melbourne itself, the CBD, has gone through this, what I would call, renaissance in terms of uh, a rebirth uh, in the true sense of the word, of people coming in and living in the city. But I have to say, as a CBD resident, mm -hmm. some areas of the city I wouldn't even consider living in because of the, you know, the fairly nondescript um, uh, development of shops and things like that. You know, they've got these terrible fast food outlets mm -hmm. or silly bars and things like that. So that can be quite unpleasant if you're coming in late at night. Mm -hmm. The other thing, too, which I, I do worry for um, the future of the city and the way in which we're shopping because, you know, a lot of people are now travelling, so mm -hmm. they're doing a lot of shopping overseas because mm -hmm. of the cheapness mm -hmm. of the fares. And the other thing too is people are using the internet. They're finding mm -hmm. other ways to engage mm -hmm. in retail therapy mm -hmm. and that makes it quite challenging for the city. And you'll notice mm -hmm. if you walk around the streets, if we went and walked out very few upmarket stores, stores now. Yeah, and also we're getting a lot of empty stores. Mm. And uh, the city's losing a little bit of its zing. Mm. I mean, I, I mean, Collins Street's not Collins Street. No, anymore. it's not the Collins Street that we all I mean, knew. it's mainly just international brands. Yeah, and they're, and they're standard stores and you find them everywhere. And does it, that, that sadden you when you think oh, of it does, how it does. Melbourne used to be? Individuality is very important. And you mm. do find that individuality out in some of the retail precincts in the inner suburbs mm. but like Gertrude Street yes exactly and uh, and it, it, it's just very interesting to see it, this dramatic change is occurring and I don't know whether mm. town planners and mm. city councils can control all of that but it's um, it is interesting from the perspective for example Swanston Street which seems to for my entire life has been fiddled with and I'm interested to see how this new version of tram stops and things actually work. But that's not, you know, people talk about how wonderful the new tram stop is, but that's not actually going to improve the land use. No, it's the not. The actual uh, shops that are no, there. No, I exactly. Mean, it doesn't matter if you put as many shrubs in every outside every that's store. Just, it's still just window dressing. Yeah, it's just it? it's, it's just filling up spaces. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I've always wondered to myself, and I'm sure there's a logical explanation, mm. and someone could actually comment on mm. this, but. I mean, I wondered whether it would have been more sensible to turn Elizabeth Street, which is a T intersection, into the pedestrian mm. street. Because, um, you know, Swanson Seems Street... Logical, yeah, yeah, Swanson Street was always that major, you know, north-south artery. But you just never know. Um, I mean, I, I, there's all these interests, of course. And I guess the um, City Hall needs to have a, a prominent 
um, it's got a prominent place in the street and they want to be able to stop. Yeah. Um, Kenneth, in terms of touring and, and the places you go to, I mean, just the energy that you have to have to take all these people round, literally yes. um, fill them with information every minute of the day, how do you do it? Um, I think it's because, well, I have a genuine in- interest in travel. Never forget... La- um, ladies and gentlemen out there in listener land that we live on an island. It's a very big island, but I've always been curious. And I love going away. I love coming back to Melbourne. It's still a great yeah. city. Don't get me wrong. I think it is one of the most yeah. um, fabulous cities. But it cities. broadens your perspective, It obviously. does. It gives you... Yeah, and I, and I look at things with a very, um, I guess, critical, perhaps sometimes cynical eye. Um, and I love to go to places where there's been really great changes for the good. Now, New York's a good example for me. Uh, when I first started going to New York, it wasn't really safe t- to walk around parts mm. of the city, particularly around Times Square. But since the dramatic events of the world of terrorism, mm. um, Times Square is safer than walking on, I think, mm. than walking down Burke Street at 10 o'clock on a, <laughs> on a Saturday but, night. Ken, has someone made the remark, because I was off to New York one year and... I- you know, I'd never been there, and someone said, "Oh, look, you won't want to come back." And 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 then another guy said to me, who'd been to New York, he said, "Look, I'm just really, I was just very disappointed. A lot of the the grungy side of New York and the edge has really been taken away it has just been. by what you've said in yes, terms of cleaning up the streets." They he have. Yeah, he they said, have, "Look, it's yeah. really not as great." We, as we, humans are funny, funny beings. They sort of crave to be where it's at. But then they don't want to be where it's at. Well, let's see, for example, I mean, what's happening in Sydney with King's Cross is fascinating Mm. because, you know, people are still pouring in there and all these terrible things happening. Mm. And you see it in Melbourne as well with um, idiots on the street. Mm. And, you know, vested interests start to come in. I don't want to upset anyone, but, I mean, these bars which are open to four or five in the morning, Mm. look, I love them. They're great. But you do know, we need to have them until four o'clock in the morning? Well, but do we need to have them everywhere? Yeah. I know they've got them yeah. concentrated, yeah. but I think we've just got to sort of be very, very careful um, uh, what we allow. And then yeah. people go to the fast food stores and throw up, and it's exactly. for the, for and the residents <laughs> in the morning. And we see that in the morning, so it's very interesting from that perspective, yeah. But, I mean, I think the other thing which is um, fascinating about uh, cities like um, New York and Paris is this real appreciation of the green areas, the open areas, and New York particularly with the High Line and the, mm. you know, the de- redevelopment of that old railway viaduct with the mm. gardens and running through the hotel. And, yeah, uh, the High Line. Yeah, yeah, it's just really fantastic. And, of course, Central Park is incomparable. It's just one of those great spaces. And we're very lucky in this city that mm. we had people like um, Charles Joseph Latrobe uh, as the first lieutenant governor who really pushed the idea of surrounding the city mm. with lots of lovely green spaces and we're the we're the recipients of that foresight and i think that's the important thing um our elected officials our designers um, even the residents we all have an obligation to enjoy and experience the city but at the same time to think about what we're leaving for future Mm. generations and i look at some of the more recent contributions to our architectural landscape in the form of these apartment buildings Mm. and uh you know, it's extraordinary. You wonder if they're going to still be standing in 10 years. <laughs> and, in fact, I've had a bit of maintenance work done in my apartment. Every time I speak to um, one of the, the tradies, they say, oh, mate, you've got a great building here. It's as solid as a rock. Mm. I'm down at Docklands and there's, this, you know, cracks appearing in walls and things. But that's that... what's so sad is, when, is, they pull, yeah. when they pull down buildings like the, 
like the Naval Club. Yes, yeah. Which are beautifully built, mm. well-crafted buildings, mm. just to replace them with another building. I know, and it's just, just you wonder get... about the real... Um, well, the buildings have got integrity, obviously. They mm. wouldn't get through mm. planning, but yeah. are they contributing something to the, the landscape of mm. the city? The other interesting thing is when you go to places... I think I've been to something like 130 countries. Wow. Uh, and... Um, you go to some of these cities which have been transformed mm. with lots of money in Southeast Asia and in the Middle East. And some of this, when, when, when you can give an architect uh, a really extraordinary freedom of um, mm. expression, they do come up with some fabulous architecture. I mean, you look at this country, what's, what really makes a great statement architecturally that's recognised internationally? I guess it's the Opera House. Mm-hmm. What else? Exhibition building. The exhibition building. It's on the World Heritage List. And it is a real... And both those buildings, I think... And in op- Melbourne, what would you say? Uh, well, well, they, I, I, I like the Royal Exhibition Buildings, but I'm just trying to think what else really stands out. Mm. It was interesting because um, a leading architect came from London a few mm. years ago mm. and attended L'Oreal Melbourne Fashion Festival. And um, the audience actually quizzed her and said, well, what's your favourite building in Melbourne? Yes. <laughs> and she said, well... It's yet to be built. Yes. And I yeah. think the audience were just stunned. Yes. But, and um, that's her perspective. But I think it's good to be critical of, you know, of what we well, have. Well, you see, what you and I think, we, I mean, I'm sure we disagree on many mm-hmm. things, um, and I'm sure everyone else is going to have their own opinions. I mean, if I look I at mean, the... I mean, lo- I'd, th- I'd disagree with it, because I think we actually have a lot of great buildings. Yeah. I, I actually, when I look at the 19th century... I really think that Government House is an extraordinary contribution, and I think the old Treasury is amazing, and I like the Shrine because of its individuality. Mm. Um, In terms of the more contemporary, I think Orica House is stunning, and I really do have a soft spot for the BHP building. You'll laugh at this, but I don't even mind the Eureka Tower. Mm. Um, I um, think the Sydney Meyer Music Bowl is fantastic. Uh, I think the... um, beautiful old swimming pool which has been fiddled around with of course but the city bars uh, no the oh. um the one down where they had the olympics in 1956 olympics oh yes here. by um kevin and, ball and yes and, and the city bars Peterman. are really quite jj clark i mean mm. it's extraordinary i mean when you think about jj clark he starts this year the treasury building at the top of the old treasury building at the top of collins street is marking its 150th anniversary he designed that building aged 19 years it's extraordinary i know and it's in you know it's been designed in the late 1850s he completes his career in the early part of the last century working sometimes with his son ej with buildings like the qv and all the, the old Queen Victoria Hospital building, but also the Melbourne City Baths, which, you know, as Miles Lewis, I think I think it's Miles Lewis, I'm hoping I'm quoting correctly here, described as a blood and bandages building because of that sort of Edwardian sort of Baroque and the red with the, the, the beige colour striping through it. Kenneth, if I said to you, you've got a choice of living anywhere in the world, any of the 130 countries you've been to, um, where would you go? Where would you? Can I have? Can I share my time? You uh, can. I suppose. Well, I suppose you well, can. You could yeah. prioritise. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, the places that really stick in my mind are, and there's about four of them which I could really easily cope with. Uh, obviously, I do like Melbourne, um, and perhaps if I really wanted to, I would have moved somewhere else. But I find Melbourne, it's terrible to say it and sounds sort of condescending, but it's very comfortable. Mm. Uh, I love. Uh, 
New York and Berlin. Uh, and I have a, a real attraction to Paris. But I, actually, the first time I went to Paris, I hated every moment of it. I got a, you know, a dumpy old hotel room and it was, mm. um, it was cold and it was in the winter and uh, I just didn't enjoy it at all. But the second time I went back, mm. it was just fabulous. And I have to say, in a sort of strange, sort of quirky way, I like um, London uh, because London's has its ups and downs. And it seems to be buzzing at the moment. It does. It? it really does buzz. And I've always had a soft spot for San Francisco as well. But mm. uh, London, London is really. I'm finding London quite fascinating because next year I'm um, going to be doing this tour called Design London, uh, which I know you're going to be playing a role with. And we're going to look at London from a new uh, perspective. We're going to look at London from contemporary design. Mm. So it'll be architects, artists. Uh, creatives. Desert, creatives. And uh, it's going to be fantastic to mm. sort of go to a city that many of us know so well, but to look in a different way. And one of the things I actually find is that um, I can go back to the same city, you know, 10, 15, 20 times. I think I've been to Berlin about 25 mm. times, but I always find something new. Um, the interesting thing about a place like uh, Berlin is that they've had to rebuild the city. Mm. And uh, it's fascinating to see what they've done with the old architecture to reinstate it and restore and refurbish it or whatever. But it's the new architecture which is fascinating. It is extraordinary. And there is so much energy. They realise the physical being of a city is a, uh, and the physical landscape is a real statement. Kenneth, I could talk to you for hours, and I think we've got a lot more to say, but our time's up. And I'd like to say, Kenneth, thank you so much for coming here today to talk with me on um, Talking Design. And uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. It's and been... I, I, it astounds me, your energy. I, I look at you and what you do and I think, how do you possibly just keep going? Well, I think it's sort of, I, I, I always say to myself, it's an old phrase. Um, well, there's two phrases I keep in my mind. One is that... Um, I don't want to rust out. I want to wear out. And the other thing is, um, if you've got a brain, use it. And the day you cannot continue to massage your brain, is it's time to think about um, pushing up daisies. Um, so live life to the fullest and enjoy what is a fabulous city. We all, I hope that your listeners would agree that we live in a great place. And uh, let's just pay a little bit extra attention to how we unfold the vision for its uh, cityscape and we'll keep it the, one of the great cities of the world. Thanks so much, Kenneth. You've been with Stephen Crafty, Talking Design at RMIT University in Melbourne. Thanks so much, Kenneth.